Good morning. Good morning. Wow. I think Ryan had some like extra sugar in his weaving this morning. <laughs> Woo. I think my hands are going to sting for a week. I'm never tired. I mean, I got red hands. <laughs> Glad you're here. Man, that's church, right? Amen. You got your Bible? Go to Matthew chapter 3. And uh, I'm Pastor Matt, and uh, we're Marine Creek Community Church. Uh, we're just over two months old, and uh, we have been given a, 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 just a vision by God, and our mission is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus. So what that means is we have an obligation to live and teach and communicate uh, Jesus, and, and that's really our heart. We want to make Jesus very clear to people around us, and we want to love people, and that's what we're going to do. Um, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and uh, we've been just over two months, and we're now chapter three, so, ooh, um, it's not about quantity, it's about quality, right? Um, so we're, uh, we're going to actually introduce a, a new guy this morning in, the, in our story, and in our teaching, and our study, it's John the Baptist, and uh, if you've got a Bible, go to Matthew 3, if not, we've got it on the screen, and we're actually ordering Bibles, so if you need a Bible at home, then we would love to give you one, and make sure that you have that, because we don't live in a country where the Word of God is suppressed, and uh, it's available, and we want to make that available to everyone, and uh, I'll, I'll just tell you that that's a passion, is for us to be in a community where we don't just have the Word of God. We don't just want to have access to the Word of God. We want to have a life rooted in the Word of God so that when we, when we live, it's God's character that comes out. And that, I'm telling you, that is what our community and our society and our country and our world desperately needs, is people to step up and say, I'm going to live to make Jesus very clear. And I can tell you, a lot of the junk that we end up talking about at the water cooler, that, that will change. I mean, it won't change overnight, but you'll start to see a change. And, and that's what God's called us to do. Um, we've been talking, we talked about Jesus' birth and his lineage, and we covered his, his earthly lineage and his family tree, and we've covered his divine heritage. And, and that He is the Son of God. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the one spoken of that will come to be the redemption for mankind. And for those that put their faith and trust and hope in Him. And we're picking up, see, when we finish verse, or chapter 2 and going into verse 3, what happens, there's about a span or a gap of 28 to 30 years. So if this were a movie, there would be like this scene of, and uh, pause in the movie and this musical interlude and then a little subtitle about 30 years later or in my house we watch Spongebob all the time and the guy that comes up he goes 30 years later so I, mean, it's just, I don't know why that just pops in my head um, and so that's where we're at this morning. And uh, let, me, let me read this to you. John is coming on the scene. John the Baptist. His, John's not the original Baptist. You know, he didn't found, you know, the first Baptist movement of the world. Um, he's labeled John the Baptist because his message was very clear. And he taught baptism of repentance. Uh, John is a prophet. And what's interesting that's going on in this time is a prophet hadn't been heard of for about 400 years. And so really what you have is, is collectively this, this kind of quietness from God. And, and I can understand what that feels like because I've been going through situations 
where I'm praying, I'm saying, God, I really need some guidance and some direction here, and I get nothing. I mean, when Heather and I were praying about launching this church, and God was just gunning, it felt like we were just in the, in the passenger seat, and God's driving, and just the, the thoughts, and, and God was just giving us all kinds of information, and it was so exciting, we're like, yes, 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 and we're like, God, we're in, man, and then zip, nothing, nada. It's like, uh, God, did, did we just like, were we like riding side by side and we did this or what is going on? I mean, it just felt like heaven went silent. And then you start to go through all that, well, was this really God? You know, was this just like maybe indigestion? <laughs> I mean, you know, what's going on? Am I trying to overthink or over-spiritualize a situation? And so what you have is, is the world kind of falling into silence here. And then God starts to prepare the way because he's doing something new. Remember, Matthew wrote the book to say, here is our king. God is doing something new. And Matthew is the perfect book to start the New Testament because God is changing what is going on. God is not changing. God is changing the system. And he's changing how that system is going to be dealt with. And so we've got this guy, John the Baptist. He's a little bit of a, a quirky character. Um, if you've grown up in church, you know the stories of the, the coat of camel hair and the bell. And the, he ate locusts and honey. You know, we used to, I remember in Sunday school, we would try to get somebody to eat a cricket by the end of That was just a, a guy thing, you know. You'd, you'd be like, come on, eat this cricket. One of my children, I'm not going to say who, um, we would come up when she started crawling. We would come up and find her in one of the corners of the house. And one day she had a leg of a cricket hanging out of her mouth. And it was just hilarious. We get to tease her about that. Now, I did not. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. Heather's out of town this weekend. So she's kind of my check and balance there. I can feel her eyes coming at me when I start to like go down that trail. And her eyes are not about me this morning. So this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and she's even in a different country, so I can't. I guess it doesn't cross the border. Sometimes it's like she'll listen to this, and I'm going to get it later. John chapter, or Matthew chapter three. John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near." This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was really the last big prophet in the time, about 700 years before Christ. And Isaiah had even prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would be called Emmanuel. We talked that the first couple weeks, that Emmanuel is God with us. And he is he's speaking what's going to come. And now we're starting to see with the book of Matthew, those things are starting to happen. And, and so for people, uh, Jewish people would see these prophecies, they would know these prophecies. I mean, they lived them, they were taught, they were just drilled in. By the time a child finished about the age of fourth grade, they would know the entire Old Testament by heart. And they could actually have very engaging, interactive conversation about the content of the Old Testament. I struggle to even find where First and Second Samuel is sometimes. And so, for Jewish People, they would understand these prophecies. And when Matthew writes this, they're saying, this is a prophecy that's being fulfilled. This is something new. This is something I need to pay attention to. And Isaiah said this, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. 
John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. This is this dress, although it is weird, is very similar to Elijah. See, the, the, the Jewish nation, as they were waiting for a Messiah, they were also waiting for Elijah. Because Elijah was the prophet. He was like the prophet. When Jesus was transfigured on the mount, his disciples saw this. They saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And so Elijah holds a very significant meaning for prophecy. And so they were expecting this Elijah. And John is coming in a similar form of Elijah. He's even questioned, are you Elijah? And John says, I am not. No, no. But this is, this is starting to set up a scene where the people of the Jewish nation would be taking some very heavy notice and saying, there's something going on here. And so let's figure out what it is. His food was locust and wild honey. I, you know, I don't know. I'll stick with South Beach. Um, people, locusts are high in protein, I guess. So I've been told. Uh, people went out uh, to meet him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This area that it's talking about is about 20 square miles. And, and if you think about that, you know, 20 square miles for us, if you hit the train, it might take you 45 minutes. But for, for people to get a message, this spread out in this time was significant, which God was doing something. I mean, you, you either have to have some very, very, very good gossip going on to get it that quickly and that far, or God has to be at the center of this message. You know, I want us as a church, I want God to take our message out. But I want it to be God directing our message. And I want it to be for the right reasons. And people were coming to hear this man, John the Baptist, this preacher from the wilderness, this prophet that is, is quirky and strange. And they came and they were confessing their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Let me stop there. The Pharisees and Sadducees, let me just kind of, I just want you to understand the scene and what's going on. The Pharisees and Sadducees were a group of religious people that were, that, that were very legalistic, but the Sadducees didn't believe in much of the Old Testament, um, and there was just a different belief system. The Pharisees believed that if you could rid the world of sin, then the Messiah would come back. It's kind of the mentality we get in in churches today where if you will clean your act up enough, God might love you. And that is bogus. I mean, God loved us while we were yet sinners. There's nothing we can do to clean ourselves up to be presentable before God. It's just a humbling and saying, God, I need you. And so the Pharisees would try to rid the world of this sin. And that's why you would see them really throwing jabs at Jesus when he would hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. They were trying to get rid of the, of the filth. And for so long, the church has built this message, and it's wrong. We do not have to clean up ourselves before we come to God. God says, I love you the way you are. Let me do that. Let me help you with that. And John, he doesn't mess around with them. He calls them a brood of vipers. It's basically like saying, you're a son of Satan. Because Satan was a snake. He presented himself in the garden before the fall as a serpent. And for this, I mean, these are strong words. 
I mean, the, these are words that, that John knew but was going to cut right to the heart of the matter. And he gets their attention with this. And he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that one of these stones, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's speaking with some urgency here. And then John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What John is saying, he says, I don't hold a candle of the one who is to come. The baptism that, that, that John is performing are people coming before John and saying, I want to repent of my sins. I have sin in my life. I recognize a need for repentance, and I'm repenting. And John would baptize them, and that was a symbol of repentance. It's different than the baptism that we see and experience in, in the church today, in, in a, a Christian setting. The baptism we experience is a symbol of a changed life. It's, it, when we do baptisms here at Marine Creek, we, we, well, I'm going to teach more about this next week, but we do immersion. Baptize, it's baptizo, it means to dip, to dunk, and it, it, it's a form of dyeing clothes. You would have to dip the clothes in the dye so that you bring out a different color. And, and the baptism John is doing is for repentance. When Jesus steps on the scene, he says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a refining that goes on with when we're baptized, it's not baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a symbol of a changed life after Jesus. And when you go into the water, it's just, we say, as you're buried with Christ, and then you come up out of the water, you're raised to new life. And baptism is that symbol of us being raised to new life. I liken it to the dead becoming alive. That we don't just have repentance and forgiveness of sin. We have this new life. We have a change that has happened. And this Holy Spirit baptism is the Holy Spirit sealing us as a part of the church, as a part of the bride of Christ. Where Christ is the head of the church, He's the groom. We are the bride. And the Holy Spirit baptizes us and says, That is my child. That is my bride. And we are sealed with Christ. Now this baptism by fire, that's, it's a baptism that's coming. That's a sign of the end of the age. It says that Jesus has his winnowing fork in hand. It's like a, a pitchfork. If you've ever seen the process of threshing wheat, the old school method, they would, they would pile up the wheat and they would, have to, they would toss it up in the air. And what would happen is the good part and the bad part would separate the wheat from the chaff. And the good part would be taken and the bad part would be burned. And what John is saying here is this baptism by fire, that's where your life will be judged. There will be a time when we do stand before God and He will separate the wheat from the chaff. And it's our responsibility to stand before Him and say, I live Jesus. I live a clear message of Jesus. And what I did, I did in Jesus' name. That will not be burned up. What we do out of pride 
conceit, selfish ambition, out of anger, out of hatred, that will be burnt up. And so he's talking about these baptisms, and he's saying, there's one coming. John's message was a clear message. It was an ancient message, but a modern method. Now, we wouldn't consider John's method today very modern. But I was, I was watching the farming channel. I don't know if it's the farming channel or what it, what it is, but they're talking, I love big machines. And they're showing these giant combines that these guys, I mean, they get, these are farmers and they sit in this air-conditioned cab and they've got CD players, navigation systems, the comfort of, of a lazy boy recliner, and they're harvesting wheat. Now that's come a long way, right? The, the method of farming wheat is very ancient, or the, the practice of farming wheat is very ancient, but the methods that we use today, very modern. You're not going to see a guy out there with the fork. Man, I've got 800 acres to go. <laughs> it's ancient message, modern method. The method has to change, not the message. Now, John, when he, he yelling, repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And to me, it's like the, the guy that stands on the street corner. And I, I saw one of these guys this week, and it did spark something in me. I have to say. But standing on a street corner with a sign that says repent or go to hell, that your sins will be judged before your heavenly father, and to put a Christian flag up and a cross and to stand there as though condemning the world, I kind of wanted to go up and say, man, I want to share with you this man named Jesus. I want to share with you his message of love and grace and peace, not standing on a street corner yelling at people and calling out how sinful we are. Let me tell you something. I don't need someone yelling at me about my sin. You see, I feel guilty enough about the sin in my life. I don't need you beating me over the head with the Bible. I need somebody to love me into the person that God knows I can be. That's where we take on modern message and a modern method that the, the faith, the grace, the sacrifice of Jesus is just as powerful today, but it was all based in love and we have to base this in love. Are we good on that? Are we clear on that? I'm gonna, you'll hear that. That's one of my soapboxes because I've gone to downtown Fort Worth and I've been confronted and I just, I, I wanted to go just so Old Testament on this man. <laughs> and and it, it just, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to fight. I mean, it's ridiculous that, that people have a hard enough time getting along. But those who are Christ followers, I mean, we should be known by our love. We should be known by the fruit. Remember in verse 8, John said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, there should be something different in our life to show that we live under a different kingdom. <clears throat> because you see, there are two kingdoms at work. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be blunt this morning. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of hell. And every decision we make allows one of those kingdoms to advance. And there, there's no middle ground here. 
And John is understanding that balance. And he is saying the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is coming. There is one who is stepping on the scene that is more powerful than I. You think I'm the guy. Uh-uh. I'm not even fit to tie his shoes. And he is ushering in this new kingdom. I heard one commentator say this week, a new economy. Now economy kind of rings true with us today. Because that's all we hear about when you turn on the news. The bull market, the bear market, it's up, it's down. There's an oil spill, so it's, it's affecting the gas future, so we're paying five cents more to pump. Summer's coming, so there's another five cents. We're going to be at four bucks a gallon soon. Job rates, the jobless rates increased this week for the first time in a couple months. I mean, we are hinged on this economy. Our hope is not hinged on this economy. And John is speaking of two economies. There's an old one and there's a new one. The people who were living in this time were living based on an Old Testament or an Old Covenant or an Old Economy. In that there had to be shedding of blood for remission of sin. There had to be repentance. There was a list of rules, not just the Ten Commandments, but even at this time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had piled on so many rules and commands that people were just being beaten into holiness. There was no way a person could absolutely follow all of these commands. And John is speaking of a new kingdom and a new economy. It's the currency of Jesus. And his sin, his sacrifice, will be the payment once and for all. For all who place their faith in Christ shall be saved. And John is speaking this message of grace and love and hope. And for us, there's evidence of a change. See, when people were being baptized in this time, it was being seen. And so when someone would go to John and be baptized, then people watching this go on, there should be something different about this person. I'm seeing, okay, I'm seeing this. Is this just an emotional thing? that they're going through and they go and they get baptized and are they really changed? And, and John points to some things and I wanted us to take these away this week about some fruits of repentance. Because in verse 8, he says, bear fruit, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so when we are a Christ follower and, and we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's fruit of the Spirit that should be evident in our life. And those are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. There's also another fruit spoken of in John 15, and that's the fruit of a believer. That means we share this message. You see, a, a healthy tree doesn't just produce fruit on that tree. It plants seeds and other trees pop up. We've got this funky tree in our backyard. I have no idea what it is. But it drops branches. I mean, it just like, it's been windy. There'll be a branch laying in the yard. And Heather and I, it's, it's a race to get this branch out of the yard. Because if it lays there too long, it gets fuzzy. It's, it looks like cotton. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. And they got such a kick out of me the other day. And I'm glad they didn't have a camera. It wouldn't be on YouTube. I go out there, and I pick up this branch, and it's covered with this stuff. And I toss it over the fence. We, We've got a green belt behind us, and, and that's where all the, the, all the branches go. 
but I toss it over the fence. And as soon as I move like this, it drops this cotton everywhere. I mean, it looks like it's snowing in my backyard. And it's coming down, it's getting in my nose, my eyes, my mouth, it's covering my clothes. And Heather and Abby are just in the house, they're laughing so hard, they're crying. And I'm trying to get this up, and I can feel my allergy sign, my sinuses doing this. You know, you know, I walk in, I was like, Sir, take now! You know? But healthy trees do that for some reason. Healthy trees produce fruit on their tree, but they also plant seeds. But there are some signs, let me just point to some signs of life. There are some things that you can look at a tree and say, that tree's doing well, that tree's not doing well. And John's talking about some of these fruits of repentance and things that we should see in our life as a result of this change. Because sadly, there's a lot of people walking around believing they, they live under the name of Jesus and in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not judging salvation here. I'm just looking at fruit. And there's a lot of people sitting in churches that say they have a changed life, but they don't. They have a powerless, empty, void life. And as a pastor, I'm getting tired of it. Because we're called to change the world. We've been given this message that brings life and hope and freedom. And we're sitting on it. And I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the church. And I'm so proud of our church. I'm so proud of you guys because we launched this. That we were going to be intentional about missional living. Our fourth core value is living outside of this, the walls of this building and outside of ourselves. And this week we gave over 200 pounds of food to the Community Link. They said they'd never seen that much spam in their existence. <laughs> I told the director, I said, yeah, our campaign was we're going to spam the Community Link. And I, when I opened my trunk, she goes, oh my. I was like, but this is good spam, right? And they have to weigh it for, for uh, purposes of the food bag. Over 200 pounds is what ended up coming in. Okay, that's living outside. And the community link is good at distributing that food. And not just the food, but the message of hope and the message of Jesus. This week was the third Thursday. And we took a group of us down to, to Broadway Baptist and Agape Meals. And we sat and had dinner with the homeless and less fortunate, just to love them. I had an amazing table this week. If you've never done this, it's family style. And I sit down, and I had just the coolest table. We laughed the entire time. And it, it was just amazing. We had, we had a girl at our table that had an amazing smile, and she was the only one that got offered dessert. <laughs> but we, I, don't, I, I can't even remember what we talked about, but you know what? For these men and women... It was a time when they felt normal. They were welcomed at a table. The struggles of street life, the struggles and pressures of finances and everything going on got to go away for an hour. And we got to sit with common unity and share a meal together. And it was so amazing. And I looked around and people from, from Marine Creek are there. And they're smiling. I think everybody had fun and cool tables that week. Heather hosted a table. And she's like, that was amazing. My table was awesome. And I see our kids. And they're serving and they're bringing tea around and dessert and food. 
That's living outside of ourselves. That's living a changed life. And what John is saying here is there should be some fruit that show a change. And the first, that first fruit is humility. In verse 9, John says this, And do not think you can save yourselves. We have Abraham as our father, because God can take a rock and raise up children of Abraham. Do you not think the creator of the universe can do such a thing? And sometimes we get prideful about our family situation. We live in America and we think we're born Christian. And it's not the case. We are born Americans. We are born into our family. We have to be reborn into the kingdom of God. How is this so, said Nicodemus to Jesus. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be reborn to inherit the kingdom of God. We have to humble ourselves and put family name behind, put nationality behind us, put, put what society we claim or what, what labels we put on ourselves. All that has to go away. And we have to humble ourselves before the cross and say, Jesus, it is because of you that I can have life. Because of you I can have freedom and hope and peace. And not just an eternal life in heaven, but the life that you have dreamed for me now. That doesn't always mean a happy life, but we have to humble ourselves. And we have to ask for that repentance. It's that repentance that is key to living in the community of God, in the kingdom of heaven. The second fruit is this. Um, it talks about it in verse 10. It's urgency. When John says the axe is at the root of the tree, grow, I grew up on a farm, and there was not much to do. We, we, I had a friend that would come over, and we would either dig a hole or cut down a tree. I, I remember cutting down a tree behind the barn, and I really shouldn't have cut it down. And my dad said, have fun cleaning the limbs on that one. And I had this little axe, and it took us a long time and then my dad shows up with a chainsaw to help. But there's an urgency when that axe is being drawn back and it's being swung at the tree. And what John is saying is, is the axe is at the root of the tree, at the foot of the tree. You should have some urgency here with this. What he's talking about is, is this, this idea of excusing little sin. Because we get this idea that it's just, it's just little, you know, I can deal with that. It's just, it's just one line. And then what happens is, is sin starts to snowball. And lying is one of those things that you have to lie again to get out of the lie, and then you don't even know the truth, and you've got to remember what you told everybody. It's the best thing to do. Just tell everybody the truth, and you don't have to remember what you told everybody. Sometimes the truth hurts. Yes. Sometimes the truth puts us in an uncomfortable position. But it's this idea of, of saying that's, that's petty sin. And, and God says there aren't any small sins. There should be an urgency because of our relationship with God. Because we are in a relationship with a holy God. I mean, I remember when I was a child and I knew my mother was upset. I wanted, it, I wanted everything to stop so I could fix that. Because I wanted to be back in good graces with mom. We need to have that same urgency. The, the third fruit is change. There should be a change in our life. 
we have this, this talk about it's not religion, but it's a relationship. But a relationship should change us. I mean, when I met Heather, everything in my world changed. I mean, I looked at her, and it was like the voices, you know, and, you know, and everything changed. When we got married, everything really changed. <laughs> and now she helps me live that change. But when we enter this relationship with God, when we humble ourselves, there should be a change. We should be living by a different system. There should be a new economy in place. And sadly, we've got a lot of people that are sitting here that lack this change, that, that are, are... Religion, or even just a relationship with Christ, gets, gets a, a tag as a crutch. And what happens is some people have to be humbled and broken to reach out for a Savior. And once things get back to good, they go back to the way they lived before. And you really start to think, and I have to reflect this in my life, when things are, when things are tough, it's easy for me to call out to God. It's easy for me to say, God, I, I, I want you guiding for my life. But then once I come out of that valley, and I can start to see that horizon again, I can see daylight, and I'm up, I'm like, thank you, God. And then I start living the same way that got me in that place in the, in the first place. And God's saying, I'm, I'm desiring an inner change, a core change. A change at the root of who we are. A new identity in Christ. And Paul struggles with this just as I do, just as we all do, that this old sin nature starts to pop up. But we should, we should be living a changed life. And the only way we can live a changed life is by the fourth fruit, and that's dependence. You see, Jesus told his disciples that when I leave, there is one coming after me, the Spirit who is coming who is good for you to have. Jesus actually told his disciples, it is better for me to go and the Holy Spirit to come. And so when we, when we put our faith in Christ, then the Holy Spirit enters us, enters our life, baptizes us as a part of the church, the bride and sons and daughters of God. But what happens is it's the, the dependence on the Holy Spirit to continue to fill our lives every day. It's kind of like buying a new car and they give you that first tank of gas free and you're like, yeah. you got to put gas in it when nothing goes out. And so what he's saying here is this dependence on God should allow you and should move you to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to fill the tank. That's the only way that we can live this change and live this life. You see what I'm saying? And what happens is when, when John said one much greater than I, holier than I, some translations say mightier than I, that means that we have this ability to connect with Jesus so we have this power to live a changed life. It gives us the ability to, to sustain change. See, as a parent, when I would implement discipline, my struggle is like 
just disciplining you on like side hip shot. I grounded two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I couldn't sustain that. You know? And what I had to do was Heather and I had to kind of step back, tag team this game. What are we gonna do? What's how should we handle this? And when we make these quick decisions for change, there's got to be some power behind it to back it up. Otherwise, it's just a decision. It's a good decision. But you can't live it out. And the Holy Spirit allows us to live sustainable change when we think of this feeling like this. Think of it like breathing, <laughs> where you exhale repentance. Say, God, I'm sorry. I need you. I have this in my life that is keeping me from being in, in an intimate relationship with you, in a communion with you. And then as you inhale, God, fill me with the power of your spirit. And what happens is we start to decrease and God increases. And we start living this life that God has dreamed for us, which is bigger than we can imagine anyway. I used to think, you know, you've, you've heard pastors say, you know, if you give your life to Jesus, you might have to go to Africa or the mission field. I was talking to somebody about two or three months ago, and they're like, well, my biggest fear about giving my life totally for God is I was going to have to go work in the children's ministry. <laughs> we would love to have you in our children's ministry, but only if that's what God has gifted and designed and directed you to do, because we want to make sure that our children are being taught how to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Not out of a responsibility like, well, praise God, I'm supposed to watch the kids this week. Pray for me. I've got the elementary kids. Stay cannabis. But I can feel Heather's eyes right now. But these are these are fruit of this change. And these are the ways that we can take this ancient message and live a modern method to communicate. And so we're not just we're we're healthy. You know, the scripture uses the analogy of a tree where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. We want to be healthy branches. And these are signs of that health. Is this humility, this urgency, this change, and this dependence. But then that branch has to produce fruit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness and self-control. And then we should be planting seeds in people's lives. You see how the system works and the cycle works. And so when John is preaching this message of Jesus, there's power in it. It's sustainable. And it's life-changing. Let's live this power of a changed life. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we love you. And we thank you for sending John at the time and at the place that you did so that lives could be changed, so that Jesus could be made clear to a generation that needed the clarity of Jesus and needed, needed the vision of the Savior. And God, we thank you for this word that, that rings true today. Because we live in a generation that needs to see Jesus very clearly. We live in a society 
that needs the fruit of people following Jesus. God, we live in a world that needs to see genuine, authentic faith. We are surrounded sometimes just within the sphere of ourself with empty people, with a lack of power, with a lack of change. God, would you would you fill us this morning? God, would you give us the strength to humble ourselves before you and repent and call upon you as our Savior and a desire, a genuine desire for a relationship with the creator of the universe who loves us so intimately and so even individually that while I was a sinner, you died for me. Father, help us to live out this message. Help us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because God, this message is not a selfish message. This message is not just so so I can have a life. God, so we can have life. Father, give us an urgency to share this message. God, give us the wisdom to share this message the way that you want it shared here for God, help us not to turn people off by the gospel. But lead us in the conversations, lead us in the situations where we can be very clear representatives of Jesus with an ancient message and a modern ask that you bless every person and every family in this room. Father, for those in our our church community that could not be here this morning, we ask that you bless them. God, be with us this week. Intentionally put us in situations where we are a clear picture of Jesus. We love you and we thank you. Because it's in the name of Jesus that we can come to you can be forgiven and can pray and we know that you hear us.